Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley, where we take a look at technology companies and themes from around the world. I'm Arjun Karpal in London, and my colleague Saheli Roy Chowdhury, who usually joins us from Singapore, is away on an exciting assignment. So I'm here all alone. But it's all good, because we have some exciting interviews and discussions to bring you about the rise of health tech. Now, a bunch of different sectors are being impacted by technology, and healthcare is definitely no different. Healthcare is one of those areas where there are massive problems that technology can potentially help solve. I want to just tell you some stats from the World Health Organization, which, when I read them, really opened my eyes. For example, at least half of the world's population do not have full coverage of essential health services. The WHO have these health targets, these sustainable development goals, they call them, which is all about improving, improving healthcare globally. They say to hit these, investments in health around the world will need to increase from $134 billion currently to $371 billion annually by 2030. And the system is extremely inefficient. In their report, the WHO talked about the problems of people getting wrongly diagnosed, of mistakes in hospitals, which is essentially leading to more money being spent than is actually needed. And there's a huge gap in healthcare quality between developed and developing countries. Now, that's the backdrop. That's what's happening right now. But is it really something that technology can solve? Technology firms today are looking at artificial intelligence and cloud computing as a way to solve many of these problems. Now, I'm not a doctor but I do know somebody who is. I caught up with Dr. Simon Koss, the chief medical officer at Microsoft. Now, Microsoft is a global company. Actually, a lot of its health investment, a lot of its health research is based out of Cambridge in the UK. Um, It's interesting that Microsoft has a chief medical officer because you think of Microsoft as a software firm, as a technology company, but I think it really highlights the way in which healthcare and technology is converging. Anyways, I asked Dr. Koz to explain to us what AI and cloud computing can solve in the healthcare space. And the end that we're trying to achieve is a re-engineered health system that's adaptive to the modern health challenges that we're facing today. Our demographics have moved on past battlefield trauma infectious disease which is what health hospitals were created for a couple of centuries ago now we're trying to get ahead of chronic disease and the best place to do that is out in the community um, before people get sick and keep them well and when you look at how the health system is today lots of fragmented on-premise databases which means we can't share information and we see the cloud as a way of creating an agile platform where that information can be aggregated and also strip out a lot of the maintenance and overhead that health organizations traditionally spend. In any given hospital, you might find more than 1,000 different systems. And if we can bring an element of software as a service to that componentry, we can start to strip out some of the maintenance overhead. Why would you do that? If you are able to aggregate information, you can do, as you say, artificial intelligence. You can bring that information together. And instead of having humans look over what is an ever-increasing 
load of data, you can actually have machines start to reason across it. And when we have artificial intelligence, we can start to do things like more accurate diagnostics on medical imaging data. We can start to monitor video analytics. So we can cut down on patient falls in hospitals or do remote monitoring of patients effectively. And of course, machines are better at doing high volume data loads accurately. So some of the early hospitals using that in clinical contexts are identifying patients who are at risk of deterioration in hospital to prevent, um, identify earlier cardiac arrests, or for example, figure out when to discharge a cardiac patient or prevent a respiratory patient out in the community from an avoidable admission. Now I want to dig a bit deeper because one interesting project that Microsoft is working on is called Project Hanover, which is using AI for what they call precision medicine. This is about using technology to more accurately profile the genetic makeup of an illness, so for example cancer, and then come up with a personalised treatment for it. Dr. Koz actually drew a very interesting comparison between what his health team have learned from the coders of Skype. Just have a listen in. You mentioned cancer is a complex space. It absolutely is. And one of the hardest things if you're trying to make breakthrough researchers in in that field is the fact that there's just this explosion of literature and staying current with that can be can be a real task. Project Hanover is a machine reading, natural language processing initiative. You can point this engine at a medical database, a publication database like PubMed or the Cochrane database, and it'll go out and it'll crawl through all the articles. You can tell it what you're looking for and what you want to understand. So let's say I'm looking for breast cancer, the genes BRCA1, BRCA2, and an inference to the medication I'm interested, maybe tamoxifen, and it'll do a meta-analysis for you. It'll collate all of that information. It'll tell you what the sentiment analysis of all of the up-to-date research is so that you can spend your time doing research rather than reading. So, so that's one thing. Um, another thing that we're really interested in is the fact that um, we can potentially do programmable biology. Um, when you look at how we do coding and programming at Microsoft, it's actually a structured approach to laying down code. When you look at technologies like CRISPR and gene editing, we see that a lot of similarities between how you might actual, actually program biological cells and genes as there is to programming code. So, so that's pretty interesting. And, and, and what does that mean? Um, I mean, Simon, what does that mean in terms of uh, programming a, a gene, being able to, to modify a gene? Is that in order to kind of help treat some of these chronic diseases? And, and that's being able to be found through some of your, your machine vision and AI tools? Yeah, so CRISPR is a technology of gene editing that's readily available today. Um, we actually need a language behind it to be able to do that. And like I said, it shares a lot in common with how we actually write code for software algorithms. So transferring some of that discipline across is something that we've got in our programmable biology group. 
Um, another thing that we've been particularly interested in, and this is a moonshot, is a collaboration with Adaptive Biotechnologies. We've, we've heard a bit about genomics, um, but one of the things that we'll see, we'll hear more about in coming years is immunomics. And right now, um, if you have a cancer, sometimes there are crude tumour markers that you'll test for. Maybe it's a blood test like prostate-specific antigen for prostate cancer. Um, the whole idea of immunomics is the fact that your T cells, your white blood cells that float around your body, actually carry a, a fingerprint of all of the cancers that they've come into contact with, all of the infections they've been exposed to, and chronic diseases that might be, might be active in your body at the moment. We can sequence those T cells. We can then read off all of what they've been exposed to. And the idea being in several years time, we may be able to have the, a single blood test that screens for a hundred different conditions at once and detects them very early before you can actually see something on medical imaging or test for it with one of those cruder blood tests that only picks them up in late stage. And that's based on some of the technologies that you're, you're trialing out now. Yeah, interestingly enough, the whole idea of how do you decode a biological language, because that's what's going on. The T cells um, have receptors on them that, that mark all of the disease entities that they've come into contact with. We found decoding that language is actually very similar to some work that we did within our Skype team. So um, one of our products available is Skype Translator and it's it, it allows you to in real time translate one language, one spoken language to another spoken language. So you can have a German person speaking to someone who's speaking Mandarin and you can both communicate in your native language and it'll translate it back to you. Translating the T-cells on it in this work that we're doing with adaptive biotechnology has a lot of similarities to that. Look, it's very easy with technologies like AI to believe the hype, but I want to throw in a healthy dose of skepticism. The healthcare industry in many countries is very old, it's entrenched, there are supply chains in place, and, and people have been in it for many years. That, I think like many industries, can cause problems and potentially some stumbling blocks to innovation. So I want to introduce you to another company based in the UK, they're called Babylon Health. They were founded in 2013 and have raised about $85 million in funding. They're developing a number of products, like a chatbot where you can ask their AI to diagnose you, potentially with an illness, if you've got a headache or a cold. But they also have a service where you can video call a doctor rather than going into a surgery. Now, recently, the company did a test where they fit their chatbot questions from test exams in the public domain. Now, the exams are set by the Royal College of General Practitioners in the UK. The average pass mark for real-life doctors on that test over the past five years was 72%. Babylon Health's AI, however, scored 82%. But the RCGP released a statement after that saying that the test that was fed to the chatbot wasn't really representative of the actual test that they make doctors sit. But that actual test is not public. In a statement, the RCGP said, no app or algorithm will be able to do what a GP does. A general pr 
a GP is a general practitioner in the UK, and that's equivalent of, of a family doctor elsewhere. I had a chance to catch up with Ali Parsa. He's the founder and CEO of Babylon Health. And actually, I spoke to him a little bit about whether that response from the RCGP actually highlighted some of the backlash that technology companies attempting to crack the health market are facing, and actually whether that could be a stumbling block against the rise of tech in healthcare. There are those in the medical community that almost resist anything that is coming in new. And by the way, there is nothing peculiar about medical community in that. There are those in the driving community who do not believe autonomous cars should exist or should help drivers. There are those in journalists uh, who don't believe that facts can be found on the Internet. You, you name it, there will be laggers in every community. The fact is that we are now the largest, for instance, employer of GPs in Britain, by far. There is no practice in the country that employs, from what I understand, more GPs than we do. And for every GP that we employ, we have another 10 who want to work for us, for whom we just don't have a demand yet, but we will as we build our services. And, and in that event, you saw... Uh, primary care leaders of Stanford University, Yale University, the president-elect of the Royal College of Physicians, uh, many doctors in the audience, hundreds if not thousands of doctors watching it online who were all reacting very positively. There's no such thing as a single doctor opinion. Doctors' opinion are as divided about technology as any other. There are progressive, forward-looking ones, and there are cautious, conservative ones. From what we've heard about the tech, from automation because of AI to diagnostics via a chatbot being created by Babylon, it seems like the medical profession could be worried about jobs. I don't blame them. Like many professions, technology is having a big impact. There's been a huge debate over the impact that automation is going to have on jobs. But actually, what's interesting is that both Simon Coz and Ali Parsa aren't that worried. I... I think that if you're asking would it change the nature of the jobs, it absolutely will. In the same way that journalism today, it is not what it used to be 20 years ago. But if you're asking me does that replace the doctors, it absolutely won't in the same way that we actually have more journalists today than we had 20 years ago. Why? Because technology created significantly more channels in which we can reach significantly more people than we could before. Remember, the entire medical system that we have globally looks after 50% of the world population. We spend $10 trillion on healthcare globally, and we leave behind 50% of the world population. And many of those 50% who get it don't get a great service. In rich countries, it means that we have to wait to see a doctor, it's inconvenient, it's expensive, it's often unaffordable. In poor countries, it means that even when you go to see a doctor, if you're a peasant in India, the chances of you getting a right diagnosis is only 25%. 75% of cases, you may end up with the wrong diagnosis by an underqualified doctor or a qualified doctor who hadn't had enough time to examine you properly. Now, we need a significant amount of technology, both in terms of development and adoption, before our existing doctors can cover the entire population of the world and cover them properly. So we're in a long, long way away <coughs> before we don't need 
doctors or nurses in the numbers we have them now. We probably need a lot more. But what technology will do is make them more accurate, more efficient, allows them to reach more people and make healthcare more accessible and more affordable. The healthcare industry is worth billions of dollars and Microsoft is seeing a boom. Let me take you through a quick rundown of Microsoft's business. Cloud is one of their fastest growing areas and CEO Satya Nadella has constantly talked about AI and what AI can do. So healthcare is a natural area where, say, Microsoft says it can use its knowledge in these technologies to have an impact. Simon Koss talked to me a little bit about the business implication of the company's push into the healthcare space. Yeah, so it's 1,100 people we've got, which is a small number when you consider we've got 168,000 health customers in 140 countries. And the only way we can scale to meet that demand is through partners. We we fundamentally and foremost um, are, in, are a software platform engineering company. We make these modular, scalable, interoperable, secure platform level technologies and then an ecosystem of partners on top of that assemble that into end solutions. So we've got about 14,000 of them in healthcare around the world. And for us, that means health at Microsoft is a multi-billion dollar organization growing faster than the market. Um, we, We have a foot in both camps the legacy model and the future model. Um, We're increasingly trying to move healthcare to the cloud. We don't think that cloud, all cloud is a logical endpoint for health, certainly in the short or medium term. We think the hybrid way of um, making, having some systems on premise and using some capabilities from the cloud is probably the the logical end state for most health organisations. So what does the future hold? That's the question we are trying to answer in all areas of technology. And for Ali Parsa, the outlook is rosy, despite some of the current potential roadblocks. So I think that diagnostic is going to become almost free. We're going to be able to, to, uh, to monitor you 24-7 wherever you are, as we do with your car or your washing machine, whether it's an embeddable, wearable, uh, digestible, whatever it is, we will be able to help you to monitor yourself and increasingly more and more important aspects of your biology to your genetics. Two, information in healthcare will become ubiquitous. So we will be able to take your symptoms, diagnose you, give you your health uh, uh, assessments, every information you almost need for free and much more accurately than any human doctor can because the probability analysis will become stronger and stronger by machines and eventually a human brain can't do that in the same way that you and I can't run faster than a car. And today we will laugh at the concept that we could be able to, it will become impossible for a human to think they can do probabilistic graphical modeling or probabilistic analysis, which is what fundamentally diagnosis is better than a human. I think three, we will have better ways of reaching you. The mobile phone with which you and I are talking to in five years time will be 40, 50 times more capable than it is today. And that will have fundamental 
impact on the way we can communicate and reach people. And I think eventually everything you and I know in medicine is about to melt on in air, whether it's uh, synthetic biology or electrobiology, whether it's molecular intervention or DNA reconstruction or organ rebuilding. We are changing everything we know in medicine. And the results of these things will come more and more new. Remember, uh, every two to three years, we double our knowledge in medicine. Uh, But that means in five years' time, what we know is four times more than what we know today. What we know today is 30, 20% of what we will know in five years' time. And, and, And so it's futile to try to predict the future apart from knowing that the healthcare I received is very much the same as the healthcare my grandparents have received, I do not believe that my grandchildren will recognize the healthcare that I received. It'll be fundamentally different. You heard Dr. Ali Parsa there say fundamentally different healthcare. That seems to be the message from entrepreneurs and experts in the health tech space when they talk about the future. But let's not forget some of the roadblocks we talked about earlier, potential loss of jobs to backlash from the industry. Regardless, though, it is an exciting time. And what's interesting, actually, is that innovation is coming from around the world, not just large technology firms. And and if the promise is there that some of this new technology can actually cure some of these illnesses and diseases that haven't yet been able to be cured, that could be incredibly exciting. What do you think is going to happen in the healthcare and tech space? Are you worried actually about the rise of AI interfering in your medical treatment? Because of course, that does throw up a lot about privacy, about your data. So let me know what you think. Drop me a line on Twitter at Arjun Karpal. Well, that's it for another episode of CNBC's Beyond the Valley. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time. Beyond the Valley.